Welcome to the ExtraTime.com Friday podcast. I'm Oshin Langan. Shamrock Rovers were left frustrated, losing 4-2 to Flora Tallinn in Estonia in the Europa Conference League. Final qualifying round, first leg. Hoops boss Stephen Bradley was very disappointed with how they left in the fourth goal, but ahead of the second leg, he remains bullish. We're, we're 2-0 down at halftime. We've been here before against Slava and Braslava. Uh, we know what we have to do on Tallinn. It's really disappointing because it's a it's a really, really poor goal from our point of view. But we know what we have to do next week in Tallinn. We'll have more on that soon with our man in Tallinn, Magdara Ferris. As well as that, as promised, we have a feature on St. Patrick's Athletic. Manager Alan Matthews talks to us about many subjects, including are they title contenders? And we've just got to try and keep playing and winning matches as best we can. If we do that, we'll end up being where we are now or maybe better or maybe someone will catch us. We don't know, but we just have to focus on our own. But look, we're up the top end of the table. As I say, we've got to keep doing that to make sure that we stay there. Don't worry, we'll get to your club at some stage. There's also Kilkenny legend Tommy Welch on the All-Ireland hurling final between Cork and Limerick and Kelly Harrington on a great few weeks for her, the family and indeed the whole country. Amazing. It was it was such a, a great experience, like a, a, a once in a lifetime experience. Well, hopefully not once in a lifetime, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was it was amazing. But first, it's off the talent where ExtraTime.com's MacDara Ferris is standing by. Before we hear from him, uh, here is more from Stephen Bradley. And uh, MacDara asked him if there was anything about Flora that surprised Rovers. No, they were what we expected. Um aggressive in the press but I thought we, we played through that very very uh, well um, and the counter attack the transition is where they're really strong um, we, we, we were so so uh, poor in the goal to give away and, and if you do that domestically on Europe you get punished but especially at this level you, you get punished because you're playing against good players so you're going to get punished and, and uh, like I said, we, we give away incredibly poor goals from our point of view. And you did create chances, uh, scored a couple of goals. Graham Burke got his sixth goal for, for Rovers in Europe, extending his, his record as top goal scorer for Shamrock Rovers. So if you can do that in the home leg, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for you. We know we create chances and we score goals no matter who we play against. Um, we knew we'd do that tonight and we'll do it again next week. But like I said, I keep saying that we, 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 can't, uh, we can't give up the goals we gave up tonight um, too many individual errors leading up to the goals and, and um, we got punished but regarding scoring goals and creating chances we, we know we can do that against any team and, and we did it tonight and we'll do it again next week Thanks Stephen Shamrock Rovers head coach following the 4-2 defeat to Flora Tallinn in the Europa Conference League final qualifying round first leg in Tallinn the second leg is in Tala next week. One has to be careful between Talon and Tala. I have been known to confuse them over the last couple of days. Uh, Magdara Ferris will be in Tala, but right now he is in Talon. Uh, Magdara, you spoke to Stephen Bradley after the game. He seemed very frustrated with how they defended. He said that they've never conceded goals like that while he's been around, certainly not in, in recent times anyway. Um, you'd have to agree with them, wouldn't you? They, they, they did so much right in the game, but defensively they were very, very poor. Yeah, the goals were very sloppy, Oshin, like just to let in four goals. I think you've probably have to go back to the, it must be the FAI Cup final last season when Dundalk did that in 120 minutes, but um, Flora Tallon did it in, in 90 minutes. And yeah, the goals were were very, very sloppy. You know, the hoops had come into the, the game with, uh, I think it was four clean sheets in a row, eight competitive wins in a row, first time since 1987. That was the last time they did it, but uh you know, they fell themselves a goal down after only 13 minutes and then there were two down even before half an hour was up on the, the scoreboard in, in the venue. Brian Kerr said on the Virgin Media TV coverage that the midfielders didn't give enough cover to the defence, the back three or the back five, whatever way you want to put it. Would you agree with that? I mean, you were in the stadium, so you would have had a better view of that. Yeah, and I also got, got a, I heard it as well because Sean Hoare, Shouted at one stage, get off your heels uh, towards his his midfielders, and that he wanted them to 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 get back. Um, but uh, so so that was certainly that was certainly the case in 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 the first half. Like they did they did press them, and they did. But the but the better pressing was done by Floor, and that um, you know the first goal came from that. Joey O'Brien was pressed into the corner. He maybe could have gone long, but it was a it was a weak enough. Pass and they really they really exploited it and, and actually the, the four goals really came from individual errors um, you know and and they got lucky there was another one where 
Lopez was dispossessed at the back and, and Sapanen went raced in and Alamanis pulled off a really, really good save. Um, and yet they still managed to score a couple of goals. Graham Burke hit the hit the post. So um, it, it just as it was a frustrating night for them. What do you put those individual mistakes down to? I think it's the calibre of, of opponent. You know, people were saying it was about 50-50. Like th- this is a side that that came, you know, that took the Cypriot um, side ammonia to penalties last week. And if they'd won the shootout, they would have guaranteed themselves at least group stage in the Conference League um, and uh, playoff in the Europa League. Like they are a better side. Stephen Bradley had said yesterday in, in yesterday's pretty much press conference that he felt Flora were the best team that played this season. And that includes Slovan Bratislava, who won... 2-0 in the first leg at home um, in Slovakia. Uh, and Rovers didn't play particularly well that night. They took them back to Tala and were 2-0 up. And then I thought it was a bad uh, refereeing decision. Um, it looked like Pico Lopez had been fouled. And uh, people might remember Rovers ended up winning the game 2-1, but obviously going out 4-3 in aggregate. And mm-hmm. and so that's the belief that Stephen Bradley was talking about afterwards, that you know potentially... You know, if they can put a performance, they didn't play well against Slovan in, in the away leg, but did very well in the home leg. And, and he'll be hoping that'll be similar um, this time around. But no League of Ireland side has ever overturned a two goal deficit um, after losing the first leg. So the, the history isn't against them, but um, defensively, they probably can't play any worse. Ah, yes, but Shamrock Rovers like to make history, don't they? They were the first Irish team to reach the group stage of a Europa League. Uh, or of a European competition. So they'll be looking to make history again in Tala in front of 3,500 supporters. And that will make a massive difference, won't it? Uh, I've been at a couple of the European games and even though the crowds are small, it made a massive difference. So I can only imagine what that amount of people will do. Yeah, like it's been really noticeable, like in the even the 500 fans at the first game, what that was like. And then that stepped up. Shamrock Rovers have been lucky, you know, playing out of Tallis Stadium. It kind of, it has allowed them to step up a thousand, fifteen hundred fans. And so next Thursday's game is, is another test event. So the, the social distancing goes down to one meter and they can get three and a half thousand in. So there'll be obviously a much bigger crowd, but then also people will be close together. And that, that actually raises the mm. um raises the atmosphere as as well. Like it was a it was a very small crowd at the game today. It was probably only, you know, a thousand at best. You had to show a a vaccine passport to get into the game. So seemingly that was putting off some of the home fans. So it was um there was thirty or four thirty or forty or so kind of flora ultras behind one of the goal that were making a bit of atmosphere with a with a uh, with a drum but the rest of the game is pretty empty to say i could hear various things happening on the pitch that won't be the case in in talon thursday night like it'll be it'll be a cracking atmosphere anyone i think the season ticket holders were able to purchase tickets today so um you know that's that's going to be a sellout and it'll be it'll be great and that match is, is live on rte next week having today's game been on virgin as you said earlier Will Lee Grace be back for that? And if he is, how much of a boost is that for Rovers? Yeah, he 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 was definitely a loss a, a loss this evening, um, because he's he's really come into form in the last few weeks. Um, Stephen Bradley said yesterday that that he hoped he might be he might be available. Um, but when you have the likes of of Sean Hoare or Liam Scales who can s- step into that, you know, Rovers have a very strong squad, but. Um, you kind of wonder those defensive errors that we, we saw this evening that, um, you know, if Grace came yeah. in, they'd just provide a little bit more stability at the back, which is, uh, you know, was badly needed this evening. I have two questions on Liam Scales. One, why did he not play particularly well tonight, even though he scored? And two, will he definitely still be there next week or will that move to Celtic or wherever it's going to be, go through before that? No, I think he will be with Rovers next week. Like the... The deadline is the transfer window. Um, and also, I'd say, you know, the, if Rovers could make history and overturn the, the two-goal deficit, you know, there's 2.94 million euro uh, in the offering if they can get to the Europa League, uh, Europa Conference League group stages. So, you know, they certainly want to hold on to him to give them the best chance uh, as possible to, to get in. Why he didn't play as well this evening? I think he's been excellent in the last few games. Anyone that saw the last leg... Uh, when they the last game when they played away in Albania last week, like he set up the two goals for Rory Gaffney to score, but yeah, he wasn't as 
he wasn't as good this evening, but they were very much aware of him. They talked about the the opposition manager, Jurgen Hahn, spoke yesterday about, you know, the the interest that, you know, one of the Rovers players has. So he was, he was very much aware of of who Liam Scales was and, and uh, where he's moving to soon enough. And it was interesting as well, after the game, McTara, um, in the press conference, Stephen Bradley was asked, you know, were you tempted to sit in after you brought it down to a one-goal game and it was only 3-2? And he said... It was nothing really to do with tactics. It was just a mistake that let them through. And that's the frustrating thing. Just before I let you go, McDara, um, for most of us, we haven't got off this island in the last year and a half. In fact, the last time I was off the island was at the Emirates. Aoife bought us a couple of tickets for an Arsenal game, which they, they lost to Olympiacos, but it was still great to be there. Anyway, um, what's Tadden like? Has COVID had any massive impact on it? Has your, is, your, is your visit this time a lot different to the visit you would have made um, a couple of years ago when Rovers was there? What, what, what's it like? Yeah, in 2011, there would have been, I think it was about 400 Shamrock Rovers fans came. Mm-hmm. So the the main square was filled with um, flags and, and song, whereas today it was very, very quiet. It doesn't feel like a a football away trip when there isn't kind of songs echoing off the, the buildings in, in the main square. So it was very quiet. Like uh, some people might have been in town before either you know, out with Ryanair or, or it's, it's a big um, cruise ship city as well. So, so cruise ships come in, but there's, there's, so there's, there's nothing like that. So there's very few tourists around today. It's, it's, uh, it's not empty by any means, but it's, but it's quiet. Like the, I came out on a Ryanair flight on, on Wednesday and, and there was probably two people for every three seats. So it was pretty, pretty quiet. Um, like, so you have to show your vaccine passport to, um, you know, went to one of the museums today down at the harbour and it just show your, your vaccine passport to get in. So people are wearing masks, but they're, they're, um, their rate's quite low here. It's it's around 150 per 100,000 mark. I think we're over 400 um, at yeah. the minute. So, um, so yeah, it's certainly quieter than, than before. Um, but, you know, there's still flights coming in, flights coming in yesterday. But yeah, it was my certainly my first visit or, or trip outside of Ireland for for nearly 18 months and uh, yeah I was the only uh, uh, only member of the Irish media if I can say that who, who traveled out uh, traveled out for the for the game okay McDara Ferris of extratime.com thanks for joining us from Tallinn you can read McDara's work on extratime.com and of course as well as McDara's uh, Shamrock Rovers material across the weekend you'll be able to find out all you need to find out and everything that you need on a very busy weekend in the SSE Airtricity League, Premier Division, First Division, and of course, the Women's National League. And McDara Ferris, thanks for joining us from Tallinn. Thanks, Oshin. It is the Extratime.com Friday podcast, and we're joined now by St. Patrick's Athletic Manager, Alan Matthews. Alan, how are you? How are you doing, Oshin? How are you? Keeping well, I hope. Good, yeah, good. Um, look, first things first, I was delighted to see Lee Desmond out and talking during the week. How is he? Yeah, um, terrific news on Lee. Um, thankfully, as you said, he, he's out chatting and um, didn't have to spend any serious amount of time in hospital. Um, he got a bad belt um, to the head and it looked very, very bad on Friday night. Um, thankfully, there's no damage, permanent damage per se, no fractures, no breaks, um, number of stitches just under his eye. Um, but he's obviously going to need to adhere to the uh, concussion protocol um, to, before he starts looking to get back to play. But thankfully, as I said, um, he came out of what looked a very, very nasty incident. Um, not too bad. And we're very grateful for that and thankful that he's back out and about with the group. Yeah, it was very upsetting, to be perfectly honest with you, Oshin. Um, we, we'd um, seen the game out. The referee um, was playing injury time. I think we're, we're 30 seconds or so to go uh, when he had a collision with Viet. And um, we'd controlled the long, long parts of the game and, and Waterford had put us under some pressure with long throws and, and direct play in the last couple of minutes. And we had seen the game out. And this was the last phase, but really. And um, you're right, it, it kind of paled into insignificance when we seen how badly Hortley appeared. He had a bad cut and um, he lost consciousness, obviously, for a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes, rather, maybe. Um, and we were just totally only interested in his well-being. The result um, faded very much into insignificance. In the cold light of day, when you look back on it now, um, we've done enough to win the game without playing particularly well, but it's a very satisfying result. 
uh, given um, we, we went into the game, a couple of players were obviously missing, the likes of Robbie Benson, John Mountney were injured, Dara Bournes came back into the squad and put in a super performance for a guy who hadn't trained with us all week. And then Lee got that, you know, really, really bad injury at the end. So the team um, very much is together and this is a very, very strong um I suppose um, camaraderie um, togetherness tightness whatever you want to call it with that group and when you would have seen Lee coming back into the training ground on Monday um, gave everybody a lift and we were able to say well right we got the right result we just push on now but Friday, Saturday really the result was immaterial and it was down to uh, everybody's view, you know thoughts and, 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 and real concerns were with Lee Well let's talk about the chase for the title. Am I putting that the right way? I appreciate this might seem like a, a silly question given where you are in the table. Are, are you considering yourselves title contenders? Is that the way that you're looking at it? Well, look, where are we second? So uh, we're, we're three points behind the team that's first. So um, we, we're there. Um, we're not the other end of the table. Um, so we're challenging, yeah. So um, it's not a title chase. It's just a task and, a, and an ask of us every week to try and go out and win football matches. And because we've been able to be relatively consistent um, since the start of the season in getting positive results, we end up where we are. But um, there's an awful lot of football to be played between now and the end of November, middle of November, wherever the season finishes. And we've just got to try and keep playing and winning matches as best we can. If we do that, we'll end up being where we are now or maybe better or maybe someone will catch us we don't know but we just have to focus on our own but look we're up the top end of the table and as I say we've got to keep doing that to make sure that we stay there You must be happy with how the team has gelled together how the squad has gelled together because you do have an awful lot of talent but we've seen it before and not just with with St. Pat's we've seen it in this league we've seen it all over the world in football sometimes that magic just doesn't happen but it is happening with E and you know it is coming together yeah um, I think it's a a good assessment um, that it's kind of coming together um, I think there's still a couple of levels that the group can come up to um, the start of the season um, Stephen would have identified a number of players that we we, got, we would have felt would add to us um, as characters um, as, as individuals as leaders and not just footballers, we, we looked at that and we looked at trying to bring other kind of attributes into the group that maybe wasn't there the last couple of seasons. Um, we lost the likes of Luke McNally to Oxford at the start of the year and we replaced him with someone like Paddy Barris who came back in um, with an, a wealth of experience at, at being at the top end of the table and winning stuff. John Mountney, likewise, a wealth of experience of being at the top end of the table and winning stuff. And then you mix that with the likes of Darren Bournes coming through, um, with Veach coming in from Liverpool, and with Ben McCormick coming through, Alfie coming through, all lads starting off their career and and trying to you know make a name for themselves. Um, the dynamic has worked well because the uh, younger players have you know taken all the positives that they can get and the learnings that the older guys can give them, and they've evolved and developed as a group, and that was. In positive performances and positive results, so yeah, we're, we're delighted with where we're at, and we're delighted with the group that we have. At the start of the season, we went with a relatively smaller squad, but we we always believed that the quality was there. And you know, obviously, you're going to have injuries, suspensions, etc. You have to be able to deal with them. Um, we've had our fair share, and whilst it's you know, it's always. Great to have your strongest team out um, on paper. What we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that opportunities presented itself to some of the, the younger guys and they've taken it, which is great to see. You mentioned leadership there and having experience in the squad. From the outside looking in and from the complete non-expert point of view, just you know, just someone who is a football fan, how does it work? How do those guys share their experience? Does, does like John and Robbie and, and, and Paddy, who you mentioned, do they talk a lot or is it just a matter of they come in, they do their job, and younger lads, they see that and they follow it. How, how does it work? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you look at, um, you know, you, the guys that we've brought in, as I say, like, should I mention Ronan Coughlin, Maddie Smith, and Sam Bone have also come into the group. Um, they get on about their work. They train every day as well as they can. They come in with the right attitude. Um, 
they ensure that they will give their best and they will demand that everybody gives their best to make sure that the group is is training at the right intensity and at the right levels. And that happens over a certain period of time. It becomes then the norm. It becomes then the higher standard. So you're trying to set a standard of, you aspire for excellence, which is, you know, always very difficult to achieve, but you, you want every interaction with the players and every every opportunity that they're getting to come in and try and to be at the best quality and the best standard possible. And when you have players, as I say, who who at our different stages of their career, um, all wanting to have the same outcome, all looking for the same goal, um, learning from experienced players, listening to experienced players, younger players then also shown that they have the initiative to come in and, and maintain high standards. And I think it's a case that it doesn't happen overnight. It has to evolve. And a couple of the guys came in last year, a couple have come in this year. So it takes a little bit of time maybe to gel in because there's been a relatively big turnover of, of playing staff over the last couple of seasons. And um, it probably does take a little bit of time for all of that to to gel together and to enable you to get the right dynamic with the group to get the positive results. So I think it's a combination of everything, training ground on match day, off match days, players being social with each other, being able to engage with each other in, into different areas. I know it's been difficult with COVID, but players learning how each other lives. And again, as I say, taking the best learnings that they can from more of the experienced fellas for the younger guys. You've been in management for a long time. You've been in League of Ireland football for a long time, since the 80s. Have players changed? Have Has, has working with players changed in the last few years? Are we in kind of a new era at the moment? Um, I'd say like society, um, yeah, there's been a, 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 an involvement and a, a change in, in the attitude of the, the players that are playing League of Ireland now. Um, when I played, it was predominantly part-time, trained a couple of nights during the week, uh, Saturday morning and played on Sunday. Uh, and um, most of the guys um, had day jobs. In fact, probably all the guys had day jobs. Very few were concentrating full-time on football. That's changed. Where now you're looking at the Premier Division. Um, maybe with the exception of, of Finn Harps um, I would imagine every team trains every day um, Bowes albeit they, they are part time they probably train as much as full time um, players so the, the full time ethos has come in where players are, are training on a daily basis conditioning has improved um, strength and conditioning has improved and I suppose the diet and the nutrition of players has improved um, the drink culture that was probably prominent in in this country and in the UK in the 80s, maybe early 90s, that's certainly not there. Um, players address their, uh, their their diet very, very seriously and ensure that they're in good condition to train every day and to give their best on match day. So the alcohol um, fueled yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> bonding sessions are a thing of the past. Um, as a I player who played in the past, now, do you... Sorry to cut across you. As a player who played in the past, when you see that and the way guys treat themselves now and their diet is good and they don't drink, do you think to yourself, God, when we played, imagine what we could have achieved if we had that attitude, if we didn't you know, go on the sessions and if we'd have eaten that bit better? I know it's different because the education yeah. wasn't there, but do you, do you think about that sometimes? Sometimes you say, yeah, because I, I was you know, fortunate to play with some really, really good footballers um, who are at the, the top of their their trade here in this country and, you know, maybe not training every day, training a couple of times, living their lives right. I'd have to say some of the players I played with, the likes of Paul Doolan, um, Pat Bourne, um, Kevin Brady, Mick Neville, superb professionals um, who back in the, the 80s um, would have been very, very much dedicated to their to their profession at the time um, was probably something else, but their game was football. Um, but I think, yeah, you, you look at... Um, that has evolved the performances of teams in Europe um, where, again, over the last number of years or so, um, clubs have improved and, and getting positive results. But certainly in the 80s, 90s, when I did play, um, it was a different culture, different society, no social media, no mobiles, um, you know, players, as I said, had other jobs. Football was their passion, no doubt, but it was also something that um, had to be combined with it with a job because the... Uh, the resources weren't there to sustain a, a full-time a full-time industry to, to allow people to concentrate on. That's improved significantly over the last number of years. And I think now we're in a situation where um, players are very much aware of what they need to do to give themselves 
the best chance possible to to train and play to the best of their ability and, and potential and achieve their potential. And alcohol being the big one, that's a, a, you know a, very much uh, a no-no across the board. Let's come back to the present. Finn Harps away on Friday night. Um, one of the first games that had fans back at it actually was against Finn Harps at home. I went to see it. Your fans are fantastic, by the way. Great noise. I love Richmond Park. Always have done. But this one is away from home. How difficult is it to play Harps away? And it, it like uh, mentally, is it a different kind of approach, different kind of a preparation that you and the team need for it? Um, playing Harps at any stage is, is a difficult game. Home or away or Shane to be perfectly honest with you um, we've had very tough games with them already this season this one will be no different and um, we know exactly what we're, we're going to you know encounter it's, it's a trip up the road and um, that's par for the course we're well used to that but our mindset has got to be you know we're going to have to play really well we're going to have to deal with whatever challenge they throw at us um, from a physical point of view from a technical point of view we're going to have to stand up and be counted and we, we, we're under no illusions. Harps have got a couple of very positive results the last few weeks to maybe drag themselves away from where they uh, they have been the last month or so. I, I firmly believe they're in absolute no danger of getting sucked into any form of relegation uh, playoff scrap. Um, they've got too much quality within the group for that. They've also got Ollie and Higgs who know exactly what they need to do to stay away from, from trouble. And the players have been, I think, very, very consistent with Harps they might have had a little dip but they've realigned that now and they've won a couple on the on the bounce the last few weeks so it's another game it's a game that you have to mount up to the challenge and every week it's a different challenge whether you're playing team that's top of the table team that's around your team maybe down the, the bottom end of it all sides are well organised they're fit so we know exactly what we need to do which is to try and focus on getting our, our play right Um being ready for the battle, being ready to to take on board whatever harps throw at us and then trying to impose ourselves on the game. So we go up knowing, as we always do, what to expect. But sometimes, you know, knowing it is great, but you have to deal with it. And that's the trick that you've got to, to try and do every week in this league to get three points. Is this a different test of a player going to pin harps? And is it something that you look at as a management team and maybe even take more out of regards a test for your players because and again you can correct me if I'm wrong here it's it's it is a battle as you've said so maybe you know you 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 get a real look at players and to see if they're up for this fight and you see something different from them and you see something maybe you need to see from them well I think when you when you play um, any team you're going to get a challenge uh, physically and, and tactically and, and technically um you know all teams' strength and condition has improved. Um, all teams are, are clued in to maybe various formations and, and tactically are a little bit more um, aware than they would have been previously. And technically, the quality of the player that you're playing against um, is very, very good in this league. But going up to Donegal and going up or down the road or whatever we got, we have to have the right mind frame. Every, every week that we play, we have to be in the right mind frame. And that is, you have to deal with whatever challenge it is. And if a team is prepared to you know go back to front and be a little bit more physical you have to match up to that if a team want to play possession-based game and um, you've got to be ready for that as well and ensure that you don't get picked off and, and, and play um, in the right areas if a team want to make it that it's if you like um, a high press game where they're going to press you and they're going to really really go and aggressively try and close you down you have to be ready for that so, like, it's it's no real different this week. Um, the fact that we're, we're playing Finn Harps, um, all those facets will have to be dealt with and covered off when we when we play on Friday, as they would have been last week against Waterford, and as they'll be the next week when we're playing Cork down in Cork. So, we, we just have to try and deal with every facet of the game. And our players this season, they've been very, very strong mentally, physically, um, in dealing with what challenges come up. We don't get the right result every week, but I think one thing that myself and Stephen have said consistently is that the players, um, their work rate, their application, and their you know willingness to work for each other um, can never be questioned and um, it won't be um, by any of us because of the way they've conducted that part of the game. And that's something that we, we would like to think is a given every week and it'll be the same this week. Okay, Alan Matthews, St. Pat's manager. Thanks for joining us on the extratime.com Friday podcast. You've been more than generous with your time and I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Oshin. Thanks very much. This is the extratime.com Friday podcast. And now it's time to hear from a bona fide legend. Hakuna Matata. 
what a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata ain't no peasant craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Joined now by Tokyo 2020 Olympic gold medalist and FBD Insurance Ambassador Kelly Harrington celebrating her gold medal win. Uh, FBD Insurance is a principal sponsor to Team Ireland since September 2018. It is this same spirit of support and protection that sees FBD as Ireland's largest homegrown insurer support more than 500,000 policyholders for over 50 years. Kelly, in as much as you can, try and sum up the last couple of weeks for me. Uh, they've been they've been crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, the last seven weeks have been just a whirlwind of emotions, basically. Uh, we first started out in Miyazaki for a training camp. It was very, very warm. I'm trying to get used to that heat out there. Um, glad that we did go out that early. Like going out, I was thinking, why are we coming out here this early? But now it all, when I got there, it made sense because... You need to adjust and climatize to that kind of heat. Um, and we had good, a good, uh, good international sparring camp out there, which was which was great prep, right, going to lead us into the into the games, really. And then three weeks in, then we we went to the village, and it was just some experience arriving at the village. Uh, you'd go to the field hall, and you'd sit there, and you just people watch all day. Yeah, so many people from different sports and different shapes, sizes all that kind of stuff and then like so many different countries like countries that I never even knew existed like it was just amazing it was it was such a a great experience like a a, a once in a lifetime experience well hopefully not once in a lifetime but like <laughs> you know what I mean it was it was amazing and what about the second part of that mad few weeks coming home seeing your family realizing that your family are now celebrities um what, what's that been like over the last couple of days and weeks well don't be telling them that like uh if, if you think their head is big if you if they hear things like that their head will be yeah. even bigger <laughs> <laughs> um do you know like when i was away i wasn't on social media i had me 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 uh messenger on from facebook um but that was all like so i didn't see anything back home and i didn't know what the hype was back home or anything and I genuinely thought people would have just been getting up and re-watching the fights because they were on a crazy o'clock. Like. And then to come home then to, like, I just, it's just been amazing. Like this community, this country has just, the support that I have got from them has been, uh, like, has been amazing. Like, like I, I couldn't ask for any more. I genuinely couldn't. And, you know, like sometimes people are like, oh, congratulations. Oh, well done. And like, it's just it's just a thing that they say. But people genuinely mean it. Like people are genuinely happy and they were genuinely happy throughout those two weeks. And like I, I've seen videos of them all now celebrating and watching the boxing. And like if I could be here at the same time as being in Tokyo, this is exactly where I would be. It's just been amazing. Like I, I just... I love this country and I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. And when you came back into Portland Row on the bus and saw all the colours and the, the bunting and just witnessed the atmosphere, what what was that like? Because Portland Row and obviously your Olympic um, kind of run has coincided with games being back in Crow Park. So I've been up and down over the last couple of days. And um, for some reason, I, I beeped twice going past your house. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I can't be the only one. And I promise I'll stop and we'll get everyone else to stop as well. But what what was that like? Is it still surreal when you when you when you go to your home home and kind of look at the bunting and look at the posters and just and, and, and it's it's all for you because you did something special. It's it's mad. Like uh, this morning, like the amount of cars beeping at me and people people actually stopping and pulling in and looking for photos or just to say congratulations and well done and people beeping the horn and and they're smiling like and to genuinely happy and like like I can't explain what that means to me like an Olympic gold medal is great but having been able to give people a bit of hope and a bit of happiness and something to smile about that's even better. Like that, like, honestly, like that, you just, you can't ask for anything else. Like if you can do that for, for someone, like that's just amazing. 
is that a key thing that not just for the kids, but for the adults, you've given them something to smile about, you've given some hope. And then looking at the kids, you've given them a, a role model and they might think, well, if someone from this area can do something special, I can do something special. But you know what? Like, it's not even it's not even about the area. You know what I mean? It's not like the year. It's not like if someone from this area can do something special. Like on this road, like on Portland Row, around this community, you have Wes Houlihan, Jack Bourne, Olivia O'Toole, Lynn Rafferty, Barry Keoghan, Sean Arkins. Like, I haven't got all day. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like we have so many sporting heroes and actresses and actors and all that kind of crack. It's about inspiring the next generation. It's a, it's about inspiring my generation. It's about inspiring everybody, not just this area. And it's nothing got to do with the area and disadvantagedness or anything like that. It's yeah, we take it. We, we just take that out because it's not a, it's not like I don't look at it as in this area like and people say it's disadvantage it's not like it's you know what we in that we we make up another in other ways as you've seen like our community is fantastic for support we all get behind each other all the time and that's all I heard when I got off the plane I was like oh you've a great community I've been saying this since any time I've had a chance in the media like I've been saying this and I just wonder, did, did people not believe me back then? Or did people think I was telling Porky Pies? Because now all of a sudden they're seeing it, you know what I mean? Like, and this is the truth. This is this is my community. No matter where I live in the world, this is my community. And I like they're they're a great bunch. I'm not even showing it. They're showing it themselves. I wasn't even here, you know, like so they're showing it themselves. Like, and a lot of the stuff that they done early on, like in the two weeks was all their own initiative. Like, you know, they all done it themselves. They all set up WhatsApp groups and, you know, it was great. And what came out of that, like then the, the, the council came on and gave me the homecoming and all, but what has come out of this is over, over the years, like I've been trying to do things to bring the community together, to get the community out and, you know, like just involvement with each other and stuff. Like I'd run a, a Kelly Harrington fun day. It's called once a year we do it in the, in the pitch at the back of my ma's like, and then all of a sudden I'm away and everyone is like neighbours meeting neighbours who they never even knew they had neighbours, you know, the the new generation, the old generation mixing together. And, you know, people who haven't seen each other or spoke to each other in years are now friends and hugging and stuff. And then the whole COVID situation, like uh, people haven't been out, like haven't haven't really been out our bubble or out our shell in the guts of two years and now all of a sudden everyone's out and they're celebrating and they're happy and they're crying tears of joy and like that's just to me that's that's what that's what it's about like you can like gold medals are gold medals but that's that's gold like this is a golden community this is a golden spirit like everyone wants to talk to you so we're short on time so I'll I'll I'll, I'll jump on to the next thing which is the final itself it's so rare in boxing and amateur boxing that someone wins a fight especially a big fight like that having lost the first round what was going through your mind what were John and Zor saying to you what was um what was um how did that work because you look calm and composed but I, like, I wonder were you I mean I've lost in the in in 2018 I lost the first round of my world final fight and I came back and I won the second two rounds uh, in the qualifiers in the semi-final I lost my first round out there as well so I'm 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 kind of well accustomed to losing the first round and being able to come back from that, you know, so I'm not panicking. And again, like I always say, uh, I think it's with age where I don't panic and, and rush in and do stupid things, you know. Uh, and I was able to do that homey composure. And at the end of the day, I might have lost the first round, but it was a 3-2. So like there's a possibility, like she's also panicking because it's also a very, even though I lost it, I... I didn't necessarily lose it by a, a long shot. You know, it was a very, very close round. And uh, I mean, she had to come back and work for it, which also played into my hands because then she was coming forward a bit more, which which was great. Like, so, uh, yeah, just kept calm, cool and collected and controlled what I could. could. And, and during fights, I've heard people who know far more about it than I do. Um, say that that you can change your style when you need to or if you need to and that you've got fantastic feet is that something you've worked on how how does that work how do you make those decisions in the ring it just comes totally natural totally like it just it just happens I just it just happens I've this is that's me since I've been boxing it's not like I just decided like two years ago to to do this kind of thing I've done this forever you know like and 
the more the more uh, success I get and the more the limelight is on me, the more people are like, oh, my God, she changes her stance and oh, she does this. And I'm like, yeah, actually, well, I've done that for the last 17 years. But thanks for noticing now, you know, <laughs> like. And two very quick questions. Hakuma Matata, was that off the cuff or was that very much planned? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I've been listening to the Disney before I went down. I think everybody thought I was losing my mind, but I was listening to the Lion King and uh, Mighty King and uh, Akuna Matata. Akuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and it like, and it does like, it mean to me, it was like, it means no worries whether you win, whether you lose. Yeah. You're here, you're giving it everything. As long as I get out there and I know I've gave, gave, gave it everything, well then, I shouldn't have any worries, you know, and that's that's exactly what it was. It was a Kuna Matata. And which do you prefer, the live action version or the cartoon version? Ah, the cartoon version. Yeah. Ah, of course. Like, thought so. You know. Yeah, thought so, thought so. And just before I let you go, I, I take it now you're kind of not rushing into any decisions. You'll take your time, you'll rest up a bit and, you know, what happens, happens. That's exactly it. No, no decisions have made yet. Like I've, I'm only, it's a, a week and a day today since I stepped out of the ring. So, yeah, I'm still I'm still coming down like uh, from me high. Well, I've never haven't actually really been up. My feet's been on the ground firmly. Like, um, but I uh, yeah, no decisions. That that's all in due course. Where I sit down with my coach uh, from my club, Noel Bourke, and then with the Irish coaches and with Bernard, and then we make a decision and see what 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 happens going forward. Okay, well, Kelly Harrington, thank you very much, and. I hope you're still enjoying it. Hope the family are still enjoying it. I hope that you're enjoying all the free spuds that you're getting from the Kilkenny fans. <laughs> they were lovely, actually. Were they? Okay, good. I'll have them send them some more. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Emil. Great to chat to Kelly Harrington earlier in the week. And it's great to hear from her that she's not going to rush into anything. I know everyone, well, not everyone, but there are some people talking about a, a, you know, a super fight with Katie Taylor. That would be great to see, but only if that's what Kelly Harrington wants. And she doesn't strike me as the kind of person who will be forced into doing something that she doesn't want to do. She may very well go professional, but then again, she might stay on and fight in Paris in three years and try and win a second Olympic gold medal. A great chat to Kelly during the week. Now, the All-Ireland Hurling Final is this Sunday afternoon between Cork and Limerick. Limerick looking for a third title in four years. Cork looking to win a first Liam McCarthy since 2005. That is an unbelievably long wait for Cork, who were one of the traditional powerhouses. On Saturday night, the Cork Miners take on Galway in the Electric Ireland-All-Ireland Minor Hurling Final. Of course, earlier in the week, the Cork Under-20s won that particular title for the second season in a row. Of course, two seasons took place this year because of the pandemic and all that. Anyway, no one knows more about All-Ireland Final Day and winning All-Ireland Finals than Tommy Welch of Kilkenny. And he joined me to talk about the senior final. But first, he is, of course, an Electric Ireland Minor Championship Ambassador. And he looked ahead to Cork and Galway on Saturday night. And um, he told me that, well, the work that has gone into Cork has been pretty immense. So it's no surprise that they're a coming team. So this car team, they're definitely coming. They're trying to win the first for their, their first all earn since 2001. And that we all know the players that produce Atanta, John Gardner, uh, Kieran Murphy. There was two Kieran Murphys. There was big Kieran, and then there was Fraggy. So you know, like there, if you do see some sort of success at, at underage, it definitely you will see the rewards in the future, and it's a good sign. So this this Cork Minor team, I think they've been they've been around a while now, and they've had huge victories so far. So they'll be the half favourites for the final. Galway then they're going for five in a row. So they beat Cork in their first one, then they went on and beat Kilkenny in three finals, and um, now they're looking through the five in a row, which you know it's it's unheard of really. I think three in a row was the the the, the biggest record before they won the say twenty twenty minor All Ireland uh, this year. So listen, it's a fantastic achievement, and you only have to to listen to their their manager. They had only one player. I think it's the goal, young Welsh. He's the only player that was on last year's team. So it's a total overhaul. I think there's next next year's electric minor All Ireland they were looking at this year was supposed to be a development. But um, so listen, Cork I think will be favourites. Oshin looking at the the strength of their victory so far, the strength of their Tony Forrest and their under 15, they've been coming a while and are produced now uh, when it matters most. So I'd say they will be the favourites and that'd be a shock, I'd say, if Galway beat them. And it's live on TG Cahern, of course, always with minors. I always say it that while the young fellas themselves are obsessed with the results and they're obsessed with the performance and I can understand that, it is not the most important thing at this age. The, the, the most important thing at that age 
is the learning and the experience and everything that they'll take out of it. And we wish them all well and we wish their families well and their friends well because it's a it's a big deal for everyone around them. Um, Tommy, let's talk about the senior final on Sunday. A couple of weeks ago, I bumped into you in Crow Park ahead of the All-Ireland semi-final between Cork and Kilkenny. And maybe it was because I was still bitter from the night before Waterford had lost. I said it to you, it doesn't matter. This is the silver medal match. Whoever wins will just go on to be beaten by Limerick. Um, I, I think it was bitterness. I, I think I was affected by the result the, 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 the day before because having watched Cork and Limerick back last night in the Munster Championship and just having kind of um, thought about it a bit more, I think this will be, if not 50-50, maybe 60-40. What do you think, though? I mean, you've, you've been there, you've done that. People should care what you think. They shouldn't care what I think. So what do you think? Yeah, well, you're looking at matches a long time too, Oshin, and fair and say your, your opinion is value too. But I think we're all the, the fear coming from looking at Limerick. And you weren't the only one that thought that, that whoever won between Kilkenny and Cork in the semi final, they're only going to be runners up in the final. And I think where it all came from was that Munster final third quarter. We looked at the first half. I was down in Parky Cueve um, against Tipperary and Limerick. It wasn't that they were out of form. I thought just Tipperary, they just had their number in that first half. They, they had their tactics right. Jason Ford was roaming around. There's no one really picking them up. He had five or six points from play score before half time. Um, they're just playing well all over the field. Bubbles had 1-1 one, one or 1-2 one, got. Uh, their backs had Hegarty. All these lads totally, you know, they had their number on the day. And we're like, I was wondering, usually Limerick, they need to get going. You know, the, the champions, they just need to get going. I thought they were going, but they weren't allowed by Tipperary. So when they went from that to that third quarter and absolutely blitzed Tipperary, I think people were saying, you know, can they be beaten at all? So I think that's where um, everybody was predicting before the semi-final that, listen, there's only going to be uh, one winner of this All-Ireland. But I think after the final, Oisín, and yourself included, we all stood up and took notice. This Cork team is different. We all knew they had the hurlers, the silken skills, the speed. But now they're coming with a ferociousness, a doggedness that's needed to win uh, All-Irelands. You win All-Irelands by defend. You know, you need forwards. First of all, you do need forwards. Um, because you need to be able to put big scores. But second, and just as importantly, you need defenders. And that's not just your that's not just your one to seven. You need your forwards to be defenders, is what I'm talking about here. And this is the big difference. The other day, um, you could pick out seven or eight instances, probably more, where Cork dispossessed Kilkenny. And that's why they're now definitely all earned contenders. And I'd be putting it in as, you know, maybe not 50-50, but probably 55-45. I, I was speaking to... Dermot the Rock O'Sullivan after the game, who's part of the Cork backroom team. He's he's one of the selectors. And I said it to him that physically he stood up and matched Kilkenny. And he said, well, it's not that we matched him. He said, but our physical fitness is good. And I thought that was a good point. And he actually, he was right to correct me on that. And do you think that, that, that that'll be an aspect against Limerick? Do you think that even though Limerick are probably physically stronger and bigger, that Cork's physical fitness will be enough to kind of offset that fact, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great point and uh, one that I was thinking of because you take the semi-final Watford, they physically, they really tore into Limerick in the first half. They gave him absolutely everything. Liam Cad is a tough warrior. You know, whatever he brings, he's able to instill that in all his teams. Whether it's going back to the Tipperary Minor 21 teams, now he has it in this Watford team. They absolutely, you know, gave it to that uh, Limerick team in the first half. But maybe this is where Cork can learn that maybe don't take them on physically um, because if you try and, you know, take them on in a physical battle, you have Kyle Hayes, you have Dearma Burns, Declan Hallen, all huge men, Sean Finn, while he's not as tall as the boys, you know, he's he's like a brick wall back number two. Then you have the half forward line, you have Tom Morrissey, Gerard Hegger, the Keane Lynch, all just animals. And uh, taking them on physically, I think would be a mistake. And that's the point that I think Dermot was making. It's their physical fitness, which regards getting back to be able to take the belts, to be able to take the, the physical, you know, maybe jostles and the, the, the swarm tactics that Limerick might, um, you know, imply in the final, that they're able to take them or play their own game. Their, their game is all about movement and speed. And that's what I think if, if Cork have to give themselves any chance in this final, 
it's space and speed is what they rather than bring it into a battle, a physical battle like Watford in the semi-final. I think they should probably try and learn from that and other teams can learn from that. Don't take this Limerick team into a physical battle. Try and take them on with your own strengths. The strengths of this Cork team is speed. It's the ability to hook and block. Like we've seen Mark Coleman, Kenny got through for three or four goal chances. Mark Coleman was back every time because he was going back, but it was, it was because the likes of Luke Mead and Darryl Fitzgibbon were coming back, helping them as well. Um, they were able to do that. And then there's no point in coming back and helping out your defence if you're in the forest. You have to be able to get back up and be there as, you know, an outlet for the ball and, and take your scores. So that's the physical fitness I would imagine Dermot Sullivan is talking about. And he's dead right. Would you start Shane Kingston? I would. Um, and that's the, you know, some people, you're, you're kind of going on past experiences like take Shane Dowling for example if you're from Limerick you'll probably say no keep your super subs um, for the last 15-20 minutes if you're the Dublin football team you know they kept Kevin McManaman um, you know Kevin McManaman and you know many more you know on the bench and bring him on with 10 to recall finishers bring him on with 10-15 minutes ago Karma Costello was, that was the guy he was trying to think of he, like Costello was brilliant coming off the bench for years yeah. so wasted her in from, my opinion Tommy wasted her yeah by all accounts <laughs> it's actually it's actually as a hurling fan when you watch that Dublin football team you're thinking to yourself God imagine if they had Kilkenny and Costello and even Connolly playing the hurling anyway that's the side finish your point sorry yeah so <laughs> but it is a very good point and I, I, I think the finishers so if you're coming from them counties you're saying no leave them on the bench but my I came from I suppose a setup where you started your best players you started the players in form um, that's what training is about um, that's what gives the guys the hunger to produce it in training that they're going to have a chance everyone wants to start um, you know, walk out behind the 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 Artem boys band, walk out for the national anthem, be there. That's what it's all about. So if it was me, I'd start my best players. And if Kingston, that was one day, if he's still producing and training, um, I I would definitely start him. What's your prediction for this game? Um, listen, I think you have to give Limerick the respect they deserve. Um, they're you know they've two All Irelands, they have. Won three Munsters in a row. They have two national leagues. This is all since 2018. They're going for their, you know, third All Ireland in four years. They're going for a two in a row. Um, they've been favourites in many, many times. They've had their setbacks, um, but I suppose personally as well, off the field and on the field, and they come back every time. They have character um, that is unquestioned at this stage. Um, they have a management team that's fantastic, both regards creating the team spirit creating a kind of, um, you know, game management tactics that they have it all covered at the moment. So I would have to give Limerick the, the benefit of the doubt and saying that while Cork are coming with this, you know, they say, you know, that they're coming from the, what, they're in the electric minor All-Ireland, they're in the under 20 All-Ireland, they're in the scene, they're going for the triple really. So they're on the crest of a wave, um, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think for Cork, this all started, the monkey off their backs is winning the under 20 all Ireland against Dublin in Allen Park a couple of weeks, probably two months ago. And that just set them all off that, listen, this could be the year. So I think they have all that going from Cork. Um, but I'm going to give Limerick the respect they deserve and um, predict they'll win the final. Okay, Tommy, thank you very much. Of course, Electric Ireland has teamed up with former Kilkenny minor hurler Tommy Walsh, who you've just been hearing from there, to highlight the major impact of the minor championships and to look ahead to this weekend's Electric Ireland minor All-Ireland hurling championship final between Cork and and Galway, which takes place at 7.30 on Saturday, the 21st of August in Semple Stadium. The game will be live on TG Cahar with coverage beginning at 7pm. Tommy Walsh, thank you. Thanks, Oshin. That's it for this week. On Monday, we look back on the All-Ireland Hurling Final and the Camogie Quarterfinals. We'll have our Irish in the UK roundup with Tom O'Connor, as well as analysis of the Premier League and the SSE Electricity League weekend. In the Women's National League, a Shelburne can go level on points with P-Mount at the top if they beat Athlone at Tolka Park, while Wexford Hughes know a win at home to UCD Waves will reduce the gap on the leaders to one point. Now, that will be tough as last week, the Waves boss, Graham Kelly, emphasised to extratime.com that they are very much aiming for third place. We'll have all that and more on Monday. Remember, if you want to um, contact us, you can do via Twitter at Extra Time News or you can get me on at Oshin Langan. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.